the rapture. The rapture was a sacred secret, once hid from the Old Testament saints, but now revealed to us. Why does Paul pen 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18? Hint, it seems that some of the Thessalonian saints thought that their loved ones who have died in Christ might be at some disadvantage because they passed away before the rapture. So, are those who die before the rapture at a disadvantage concerning those that remain alive until that event? A blink of an eye takes 300 to 400 milliseconds. There are a thousand milliseconds in each second. So, one blink takes approximately one-third of a second. Scientists have demonstrated that the average person blinks 15 to 20 times per minute. Consider 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. Turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to learn about the rapture. Our English term rapture comes from the Greek, which means to be caught up, to be caught up. Paul had instructed these saints about the rapture and that it would occur before the tribulation period, if you recall back in chapter 1 and verse 10, that the imminent return of Christ delivers us from what? The wrath to come. The wrath of the tribulation, because the tribulation is called a period of wrath, Revelation six seventeen, but then also eternal damnation, Romans 5, 9. So they've been taught this. Um, it's interesting that the apostle didn't, Stay away from teaching eschatology to these new believers. Remember, he had only been there several months before he was driven out of town. But yet I'd like to point out that in our two primary passages dealing with the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and also in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58, it's in the context of giving comfort or consolation to the saints. And here is the question that I think Paul is addressing in these verses, which help us to understand what's going on. Do Christians who die before the rapture lose certain blessings? That is, if you perish, if you die, Before Christ comes back, are you less rewarded than those who survive until the rapture? I think that's the question that is being answered by Paul's writing. It'll become clear, I think, as we work through our text. First, Thessalonians 4. Let me begin reading to you in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. Thank you, my father, that even as the apostle Paul spent a short time ministering to the saints of Thessalonica that he spoke about end time events, the rapture, the tribulation. How amazing. It's to motivate us, Lord, that time is coming to an end as we know it in a sense of in this world. So I pray that you would teach us great things and how to be motivated to live in light of your son's imminent return. Can happen any second, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. A common Pauline expression is given to us, but I do not want you to be ignorant. It occurs in Romans 1.13, 11.25, 1 Corinthians 10.1, 12.1, and 2 Corinthians 1.8. The wording isn't condescending, but to inform about important matters. It begins with the word, but it's a transition to a new topic. There is a term of endearment used here, brethren. And intriguingly, uh, this term is used with the above formula after the expression regularly, but in 1 Corinthians 12.1 before. That's when you're looking at this in the Greek text. Now, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a euphemism here. It's a polite way to speak about death. The term is used of a literal sleep uh, over in Matthew 28, 13, the supposed story of the soldiers who fell asleep when the disciples of Jesus came and stole the body, right? And then in John eleven eleven, but none of the 18 New Testament uses refer to soul sleep. Soul sleep is the erroneous teaching that the souls of those who have died just continue in an unconscious existence until the final resurrection. Uh, never is the term used that way because that's not an accurate teaching from the scripture. The purpose is now given lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Theocritus wrote in the third century, hopes are among the living. The dead are without hope. I want to point out, and I'll come back and hit on this again, that our hope is built upon history. What history that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. So as we look for his return, it's not a hope, well, maybe it will or maybe it won't happen. It will happen. 
because it has a foundation. So we are not to sorrow. The present tense uh, verb here means a continual sorrowing. We are not to continually grieve as others, if you will, as the unsaved who have no hope. Now, I want to point out to you, it's not as if some from the unsaved community don't have hope. Some do. They have some future hope. But what Paul is writing about is a Christian hope. For instance, that's how we get this in term in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul writes to the Ephesians that at that time you are without Christ. See, they are unsaved, having no hope. Even if they had, if you will, hope in some false system, it wasn't a genuine hope. Having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it sounds like perhaps so, perhaps not. In the Greek, it's a first class condition. They believe this. What is it that those saints and Paul himself believed? That Jesus died and rose again. A few things I want to point out here I think rather important. Number one, the emphasis on Jesus showing his humanity and earthly journey that led up to his death. But importantly, his resurrection so we can have hope of future Resurrection, But what is it that we learn about this Jesus who died and rose again? And, and this so fascinates me. Both verbs, died, rose again, are active voice verbs. In other words, when Jesus died, he's the one who made the decision to die. Recall from Luke 23, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John chapter 10, 17 and 18, Jesus says, I lay my life down. He's in total control. But what did it also say that he takes it back up again? Here before us is the teaching that Jesus being God can not only lay his life down, but take it up again and to rise again means to stand again. Continuing, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Even so, connects the resurrection of Jesus with our resurrection. And he's going to bring. Now, there are two possibilities of meaning here. Either God will bring the spirits of deceased Christians who come from heaven with Jesus to meet their resurrected bodies. Let me just take a moment and explain that. If you die before the rapture, Paul instructs us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 to be absent from the body, believer, is to be present with the Lord. That immaterial part of you, the spirit and soul upon death goes to be with the Lord and then the body just decays and is broken down. But there will be a reunion one day at the rapture because a new glorified body will house the eternal soul and spirit. 
Okay. So either God will bring the spirits. Now you see what I'm getting at of deceased Christians who come from heaven with Jesus to meet their resurrected bodies. Or here's the second possible interpretation. God will bring at the imminent return of Christ, all Christians, whether alive or dead back to heaven with Jesus. I think the latter, the second is what Paul is focusing upon here, although both of these things are true. I want you to observe the context because it is the most important determiner of meaning. Back in chapter 3, look at verse 13. 3, 13. The saints are encouraged to increase in love so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness where? Before our God, but notice this and father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with what? With all his saints. The idea is that one day Jesus is going to take all the church age saints to heaven. And that's the emphasis going to heaven. And then also not only here in chapter three and verse 13, but look at four seventeen. See, the emphasis being that the Lord is going to take all of us, whether dead in Christ or living home to heaven, 417. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. See, got it both groups. Those that have died before the rapture. And those, those who are living, both will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And notice what the emphasis is. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Why? The point is, we're going to heaven at that time. Now, John chapter 14, please. And a previous promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, literally abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and do what? And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. My point. I think what Paul is getting at here in 1 Thessalonians 4 is that with the rapture, the emphasis is taking those who have died in Christ, those who are alive to heaven. What a beautiful thought. He speaks about those who sleep in Jesus. Believers sleep. Think about the euphemism. Why? Because Jesus died. In other words, the sting has been taken out of death for Christians because Jesus had experienced the wrath of God poured upon himself as our substitute. The one who knew no sin, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 21, became sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him, I love the wording, those who sleep in Jesus. It's not a harsh death. It's a sleep. It's the concept 
that since the sting of death has been taken, even if we die before the rapture, there are no worries. We're in good hands because the soul and the spirit goes to be with the Lord. And one day he'll resurrect and give us a glorified body that can house that spirit and soul forever. Those who sleep, and I love it, in Jesus, it's totally because of what he has done for us that we have this assurance. Point number one, don't overly mourn the homegoing of Christians. It is right that we grieve when someone dies that we love, a fellow believer. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. It's fine to mourn in the Old Testament. Often they would mourn 30 days over the loss of someone. But we're not like the unsaved. Because our hope is steadfast. That when a fellow brother or sister in Christ dies, they go and be with the Lord. We should rejoice on the one hand that now they are with the Lord and not overly mourn. Number two. Living and dead Christians reunite at the rapture. This is a great thought. This was the heart of the question that the Thessalonians, I believe, had. Living and dead Christians reunite at the rapture. That's verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Some believe here. What Paul was referring to was an earlier statement of Jesus. For instance, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, Luke records it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that Jesus said it. But nowhere can you find that statement in the four Gospels. But yet Jesus said it. I don't believe this is what. Paul is doing is give us an earlier statement of Jesus. You see, the rapture is a mystery. It's a sacred secret. It was once hid, but see, now it's revealed. It's now unveiled. I believe what Paul is giving us is scripture. Revelation of what God gives to him specifically for the church age that had not been previously known. It's on par with all of scripture. Notice this. This is what we say to you by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Will by no means precede those who are asleep. Observe the first person plural. We. We who are alive. Paul believed that he could be alive at the rapture and includes himself among those that could be living. He does the same thing in verse 17, using the word we, believing that he could be alive when Jesus comes back. See, that's why we call it the imminent return. It can happen any time. And John had the same belief from 1 John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him. That when he appears, John goes on to use the word, we are going to be in his presence. How exciting is that? Speaking he here, 
that we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord's will by no means precede those who are asleep. The coming of the Lord, his personal appearance, his visit, if you will. First Thessalonians 2.19 and 3.13, we saw that term, but by no means. It's emphatic negation. The point here, speaking about those that will proceed. See, the dead in Christ are raised first. They're not at a disadvantage. This is the emphasis in our text, that just because someone passes away, they die before the rapture, they don't lose out on certain blessings and rewards. So notice here, when it's speaking about the coming of the Lord, by no means proceed those who are asleep. That's what Paul is driving home. They are not disadvantaged. And then down here in verse 16, the translation four can have the idea of because Hati, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. It's the Lord Jesus at the rapture who gathers those living, those dead to take them to heaven. With the second coming that occurs at the end of the tribulation, the angels gather the elect. Here it's Jesus himself that is taking us to be with him. And there are three things that transpire here with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God. Interestingly, all three are distinct sounds. All three occasions have the preposition N. So it's with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God. Let's look at each one. With the shout. This term shout is used secularly of soldiers shouting uh, while charging their enemy. It was also used of rowers shouting to exhort one another. So that's the first. We have a shout. Then we have the voice of an archangel. Michael is the only named archangel in the entire Bible. We learn that from Jude 9, although Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13 refer to other chief or ruling angels, perhaps other archangels. And then also you have the trumpet of God, the last trumpet of the church age. It will be trumpets blown in the tribulation period, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. But here the trumpet of God, listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 52. For the trumpet will sound and the Dead will be raised incorruptible, and I love this, and we shall be changed. How fast. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You see, they are not disadvantaged. When someone labors for the Lord and passes away before the rapture, they don't miss out on anything 
any future blessing, any reward just because they didn't stay alive. That would sort of be unfair to the saints for the last 2,000 years, would it not? That's Paul's emphasis here. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. See, with the dead in Christ, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. Gotta love this. We who are alive. We, Paul includes himself, who could be alive at the rapture. A concept that will change your life is thinking about, pondering regularly, the blessed hope. Ephesians 4 says there's one hope. I believe he's referring to the rapture. That's Paul. Titus says it this way in Titus 2.13. Looking for, see, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Living in light of Jesus's imminent return will help you to make wise decisions because he can come back at any time. The Lord is going to meet us in the air and we're going to remain with him. We're going to be caught up. The term here is from harpazo, which is a forcible carrying up. It was used to Paul being carried up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 through 4. It's used in John chapter 10, 28 and 29 that no one can snatch, see forcibly us out of the hand of the father or the hand of the son. So we're going to be caught up. But again, it's with them, the dead in Christ, where in the clouds, this is a diminutive when we look at the word clouds, a small cloud. Same term was used of the transfiguration when Jesus reveals his glory to Peter, James, and John upon that mount. Same term used of the ascension in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and sits down and also of second coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I love the words to meet. He comes from one direction. We come from another. There's a meeting, the location in the air, and then such encouraging words. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Hmm. The rapture cannot occur after the tribulation as post-tribulationists teach. Because if that were the case and everyone were changed, who could populate that future millennial kingdom? Revelation chapter 20. It makes sense biblically that the rapture occurs before. And since it happens before, child of God, we go with the Lord takes us to heaven. We're with him throughout the tribulation as he is judging the earth with the seal, trumpet, bowl judgments. We're with him for when he returns, we come back with him as Revelation 19, 14. We'll follow him on white horses. He will put down his enemies, establish his kingdom. Last a thousand year period of time, according to Revelation 20, the, the word a thousand you six times at the end of the millennium, 
when a thousand years is finished, then Satan, who had been bound the entire time, is released. He entices those on the earth. One final rebellion put down. And then we are introduced to new heavens, new earth, Revelation 21 and 22. But throughout, we're with the Lord. That should strengthen our hearts. So number one, don't overly mourn the homegoing of Christians. Number two, living and dead Christians reunite at the rapture. What a great reunion that will be for those that we have known here on planet Earth that are now with the Lord. There is going to be a great family reunion. And here's our final point. Number three, be encouraged by the revealed rapture mystery. Be encouraged. These things were not known in the Old Testament. The church was not in the Old Testament. Even in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus uses the future tense verb, I will build my church. It lasts from the period of Acts 2 with the day of Pentecost until the time of the rapture. It's a specific period of time. Was not known. We now understand this. Be encouraged. Paul writes in verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Therefore, the construction of the Greek particle, hosta, means conclusion. Here's the conclusion from Paul's teaching in 13 through 18, comfort. It's a present imperative. Keep on comforting. When we have a loved one, who suffers the loss of a Christian loved one. This is a means to bring encouragement. Yes, it's fine for that child of God to weep. Someone they cared about, someone they loved, someone that loved them is gone, but not (laughs) permanently. So therefore, we need to encourage fellow saints that absent from the body is present with the Lord and to draw the minds of those Christians to think about their loved one now in the presence of Jesus. Therefore, comfort and notice here one another. That's what the body of Christ does. Repeatedly, we see the words one another, one another. Jesus says, love one another. Because we're all in this together. We are family. We are eternally linked through the blood of Jesus Christ. With these words, the words of the Lord, they're living. They are meant to bring encouragement to us. So number one, don't overly mourn the homegoing of Christians. See, we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Our hope is built upon historical facts that Jesus died, laid down his life. He took it back up again. He ascended to the right hand of the father. He sat down showing that his work was done. He will complete what he has started in us being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians one, six, be encouraged. Don't overly mourn. The homegoing of Christians. Number two, 
Living and dead Christians reunite at the rapture. That's our family reunion. Those who have died before the rapture are not disadvantaged. But yet, when the rapture comes, think about this. All the church age saints will be together. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's a long time, is it not? And then be encouraged by the revealed rapture mystery. See, in the Old Testament, they had incomplete knowledge. They understood some of the Lord's working with the nation of Israel and through Abraham and on and on. But they had hints about the millennial kingdom and those things. But they really didn't understand any of these matters. Why? Because the rapture is a mystery. When the Almighty reveals it to Paul and he shares it with us, it's something that is new. And understanding now that we are to live, child of God, in this church age, looking, anticipating the imminent return of Christ. The reward is Christ, but then he will even give us more rewards. How great will that be? Be encouraged by what you understand and let that knowledge permeate your thinking and help govern your existence. So as Moses said, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart full of wisdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We've learned so much today. We've been encouraged greatly because your son conquered death. And those who die even before the rapture are not disadvantaged. They will enjoy all the benefits that those who are living at the time of the rapture will enjoy. Help us to know that we are not to grieve, continually sorrow like the unsaved when they have a loved one who dies. But we can have a confidence that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord that our dead in Christ are now with you. And Father, the thought that soon, maybe at any moment, maybe before I even finish my prayer, your son will return and take us to forever be with him. Thank you for what we have and what has been revealed to us. Help us to lead lives, living in light of these great truths. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.